If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash goddessgray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful, Hi, beautiful people. people. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining this conversation. I have YouTuber Lizzie Answers, which is so exciting. Hello, Lizzie. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me on here. Yes, of course. Um, we do want to give you a trigger warning right off the bat. This conversation is going to get quite heavy in some places, quite dark. I have fully submitted to this not being monetized at all. We are going to mm -hmm. talk about sexual assault, pedophilia, um, the scandals that occurred in the church. So if any of that is triggering to you, please skip this video and go on to the next one. For anyone still here, we invite you into this conversation. It's is going to be heavy so we welcome all of your comments and questions but please if you can do so in a kind way i've obviously already been aware of lizzie's videos and i've watched a bunch of them and i always love your approach to things but you popped up in my twitter feed saying you're going to an answer to my birth control video which was mm -hmm. a response to paul and morgan and I was sitting on the couch, like watching a movie with my partner. And I was like, oh, I'm about to get a taste of my own medicine. <laughs> like, because I've had response videos and I've had people passively aggressively talk about me without uh -huh. me. <laughs> and oh, I've um, seen that a lot. Yeah, it's really <laughs> weird because it's like you make response videos to them. And then yeah. you'll make a video about them. And then like a week later, they'll make a video, but not say your name. <laughs> so everyone knows who they're responding to, but they just won't at you or won't even say your name. It's really cringy. So I don't know why people do that. I don't, yeah, it's funny to me. And I've, I've told my audience that I always ask people for a private conversation at a certain point, I've like thrown up my hands and been like, I'm not going to ask every time yeah. I make a video. But um, everyone says no. And you're the first person that said yes. I'm the first person? That's so crazy. Yeah. I think the only other difficult quote unquote conversation I've had was with um, the Bethel leader that started the change movement at Bethel, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, I perceived as a conversion therapy sort of ministry. Mm -hmm. And I 
still essentially do see it that way. But um, her and I had a really civilized, beautiful conversation. And I was like, I want more of that because we vehemently disagreed on that, but it was very civil and lovely. So Mm -hmm. I look forward to it, you know? Yeah. So for everyone watching, welcome. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Um, I wanted to kind of dive into Lizzie's history and why Catholicism resonates with her so deeply because it is true. I am a former Catholic, although admittedly, I always call myself a casual Catholic because we were just the family that went on holidays and like very, maybe occasional guilty Sundays or something. (laughs) Um, so I never dove into a lot of the things that I know nothing about like active and permissive will, solo scriptura, et cetera. So hopefully you all will get a little education on Catholicism. Um, but we're also going to talk about this birth control debate because I think we still have some answers and potentially mm-hmm. like rebuttals to one another and our perception of this. So let's get started. <laughs> so I know that you went from Protestant to Catholic. Did you grow up Catholic? No. So I'm mean, actually... Yeah, yeah. So I'm a missionaries kid. My parents were missionaries in St. Petersburg, Russia. So I lived there for the first part of my life. And I grew up my entire life in a Protestant denomination called Churches of Christ, which is an offshoot of Presbyterian. And we always joked that it's Baptist without the piano because we had acapella worship as part of our church. (laughs) I absolutely loved growing up Christian. I don't ever remember not believing in God or not having a relationship with God. So it resonated with me my entire life. I went to a Christian college called Pepperdine that was also Churches of Christ. And while I was at Pepperdine each summer, I spent the whole summer in Thailand teaching English with the Bible and doing missions work. So my plan after college was to permanently move to Thailand for like three to five years, maybe forever and do missions work. But then I started doing more research into the early church, into the Orthodox church and the Catholic church and kind of posting videos, sharing about awe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, babe, I was going to grab you a bottle, but... <laughs> Anyways, so I started posting more Catholic videos on my YouTube channel, and I actually got fired from being a missionary, and I wasn't allowed to move to Thailand. So I had grown so close to this group of people. They were like family. It was heartbreaking, and it still is, that I was kind of cut off from that community. So when you were putting up the videos on Catholicism, were you saying, hey, I'm a Catholic, or you were just expressing intrigue? I was making videos, like one of the ones was 10 lies Protestants believe about Catholics. Okay. And I would talk about how there's a lot of disunity in Protestantism. And that's why a lot of my atheist viewers don't want to become Christian because they think the Bible is so hard to understand if there's like 30,000 interpretations of the Bible. So I wasn't at all saying I'm becoming Catholic. Like at that point, I thought I was going to move to Thailand and become Catholic in three or four years. So I was really strong in the video. Yeah, I pushed it. I thought I would push it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to eventually, but I wanted to be a missionary first. So. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. I mean, and I truly hate that this is the vibe of so many Protestant churches. It's like you say one, you have one question, you have one independent thought, Mm -hmm. you risk losing your entire community. And this is Mm -hmm. why people are so afraid to speak out and just 
raise their hand and be like, Hey, I'm having cognitive dissonance about this thing that you're Mm -hmm. telling me. Like to not be given the permission and freedom to say that is not right. And is not a true community Mm -hmm. and is definitely not unconditional love. So Mm -hmm. I'm sorry you experienced that because that must've been traumatizing. Yeah, for sure. I would like cry and cry and cry because I'd formed best friends there and I was learning Thai and I would dream in Thai. And it was just my whole like life in college was centered around I was going to move to Thailand. I wanted to be a missionary like how my parents were. And there were things at that church community that I like totally sacrificed and was almost dying to self. They were way more conservative than Churches of Christ in America. So women weren't even allowed to pray in public. Like if we were having lunch together, I couldn't pray over the food and thank God for our food. And it was just because I was a woman. Because there's Bible verses, women must be silent in the church. I don't permit a man to have a, I don't permit a woman to have authority over a man. So they took these verses literally. And so I love praying over lunch in church or anywhere, anywhere. That's, it was, that's not accurate with the scripture, even if you did take it literally. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. They took it so, so, so far. That is insane. I mean, that's actually insane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how did it feel to be in such a repressive environment as a woman? I think that I was allowed to do teaching sessions with people who weren't baptized yet. So like the moment they were baptized, I couldn't do a one-on-one English session anymore. But in a lot of ways, it was the most beautiful Christian community. It was the best missionary setup and ministry setup I'd ever seen in my life. So many people were becoming Christians. It was such pure love. So it was like this one thing that was really hurtful, but everything else was so amazing and so Christ-centered. And it was like they were all family with each other and they were constantly spending time with each other, like meals together, singing together writing songs together, just everything. Like they were constantly together. It was a collectivist culture. So like I was willing to sacrifice for that because I knew they were just taught that way. It wasn't like they were being malicious. It was just, they grew up in this church. They were taught this about women's role. And so I just kind of sucked it up and dealt with it. And I was willing to do that for the unity of the church as a whole. Wow. But it was painful though, because I would accidentally pray because I'm used to praying and I would get like taken aside and they'd be like, Liz, stop praying. Okay. I mean, I, d- I don't want to sound judgmental of anyone, but I mean, that that is so toxic. And I know that maybe you might choose to not take up too much anger on your own behalf for that Mm. sort of thing. But I have like this bubbling anger inside of me on your behalf. Mm. And it's funny because the analogy that we're given in purity culture is actually coming to me in this specific scenario. We know when they say you have a cup of water that's perfectly pure, but you put a little dirt in it and the entire cup is tainted. Mm. That's actually how I feel about having a supposedly Christ-centered, edifying, community-driven church Mm. and soiling it with the dirt of women's submission because telling you you're not even allowed to pray and communicate with your own creator like the divine on your own that's that's so insidious and it's insidious Mm. to your spirit so 
And then also I call BS on the community aspect if they were so willing to kick you out for just having true no, questions. That's true. That's true. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just sorry that you went through all of that. And also, I mean, just to encourage you, I wonder how edifying being a missionary in that sort of atmosphere would have been because if you go to be a missionary to preach the gospel to people but that gospel is tainted with this elements of submission and sexism Mm -hmm. then what are you really bringing to that those people the Mm -hmm. same sexism the same like toxicity yeah looking back I think it was almost a blessing because I think that I would have felt stifled over time it was okay if it was one summer but if it was years at a time where I wasn't allowed to teach as much as I because I'm such an ambitious leader teaching type person yeah I mean I can tell. look at my YouTube channel <laughs> yeah. and I just like my personality as a female is just very very intense and ambitious and assertive yeah. so and it wasn't just that church in the U.S. Churches of Christ during our worship service, women are not allowed to preach, lead worship, read scripture, pray, even pass the collection plates. So a lot of people view Catholicism as sexist, but for me, Catholicism is so feminist. Like women can do everything. Women can read scripture in front of the church, lead worship, pass the collection plates. They can be youth ministers, campus ministers, like besides being priests and bishops, everything else women can do women are so empowered and we can teach and lead. And from the very beginning of Christianity, women have been able to teach and lead. So, and I mean, there's doctors of the church who are women, so many women saints. So a lot of people who may have grown up in a more like balanced church will look at Catholicism and be like, oh, it's so sexist. But for me, from my perspective, I'm like, this is amazing. Women are so empowered. Like I have a role in Catholicism. So that drastic difference has been the most refreshing thing. I remember the first time I ever went to mass and I saw women in front, like playing the piano for worship and going up and reading a Bible verse. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. From my experience, (laughs) it was just such, such, such a dichotomy. Wow. I mean, (laughs) that is wild. And I don't, I am not like a feminist in hating on men or bashing anything or Mm. like being super angry about stuff. Like that's not Mm. my vibe, but I just do have to ask the question that I could see coming through in the comment section, which is like, were you not then just like a gorilla that was in a cage and now you're a gorilla (laughs) that's in like a larger sanctuary with a lot of grass, but you're still... (laughs) you know, you're still limited in some way because, and you can still enjoy and thrive and like, Mm -hmm. thank God, I'm so happy to hear that. But does it bother you that in the highest positions, um, our genitalia disqualifies us from being there in the Catholic church? That's a really good question. And I think that's a cool metaphor of like a gorilla with more grass. (laughs) I think that if I was a guy, I would probably want to be a priest. 
just my personality type. Yeah. But the way we view leadership, it's servant leadership. So the Pope is the lowest person in the church. The bishops are the lowest people in the church because they're there to serve everyone else and to die to themselves. So I never view the Pope or the cardinals or the priest as kind of usurping authority from other people or pushing theology on them or taking all the power because we view leadership as the lowest person and dying to yourself and dying for your church community. So, which, I mean, if you look at the very earliest church, the people who were getting put in the Colosseum and eaten alive by beasts the most and burned to death by the Romans were the bishops and the popes. I mean, if I'm reading a book on the history of the popes right now, and in the first and second centuries, like every five years, there was a new pope because the leaders of the church were the ones getting killed the most. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So now it's kind of, when I say die for the people, it's kind of a metaphorical thing. But throughout a lot of church history, they were the people who were literally dying for the communities because they were the leaders. So right. I will say I don't know. I guess for me, it didn't bother me because there were so many places for women, but I think it does bother. It probably bothers some Catholics. I don't know how many, but everyone I know, like I'm a feminist. So many of my friends are feminists and it doesn't bother them just because they're servants for us. But I would say that when I did become Catholic, I was wrong on so much. I had to change my beliefs on so many things. So it was just one of like so many beliefs I had to change my mind on. So mm -hmm. being Catholic, you have to admit that there is objective truth on so many things. And we're going to have extreme disunity in the church. We're going to have 30,000 different churches within Christianity. Yeah. If enough people don't just die to themselves and admit I'm wrong on this one thing. Interesting. Yeah. And when you say die to self, the first element that comes up to me is celibacy. Hmm. What are your thoughts? Who has to be celibate, first of all? And That's what are your thoughts on that? So currently in the Western Catholic Church, the majority of priests and bishops are celibate. But there's the Eastern rite of the church. So Maronite, Byzantine, there's different Eastern rites and their priests are married. So once you become a priest, you can't get married, but you can be married before becoming a priest. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think I did know church. that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And still in the Orthodox church today. Also, if you're a convert, so if you're like an Episcopalian or you're an Anglican family and then you become Catholic, you can become a priest and still have your family and have sex in your marriage. So Throughout church history, there has been, there have been married priests and celibate priests. In around the like third and fourth centuries, the reason celibacy became so popular is because the priests chose to be celibate. They wanted to be celibate. It's always been something uplifted and so beautiful. I mean, Mary was a perpetual virgin and St. Paul like loves celibacy. If you read through First Corinthians, St. Paul is like, everyone should be celibate like me. It's so freeing. You have all this time for ministry. It's amazing. So I think that it's biblical. It's something that they chose, but it's not something that's a mandate on the whole church. Like marriage is beautiful. Marriage is amazing. Celibacy is beautiful. Celibacy is amazing. So it's not a dichotomy at all. 
Okay. Yeah. And I hear you on all of that. And it's interesting because I was learning more about the monks and, mm. and from specific teachers, podcasts are such an amazing resource to hear from all of For these sure. people like I never heard before. So I, coming from purity culture, obviously had a huge like disdain, if not outright hatred for the idea of someone <laughs> repressing someone's wow. Yeah. It was like so heavy and so hurtful for me mm -hmm. and so many of my friends that hearing someone has to be celibate to be religious in any way was just like making my skin mm -hmm. crawl. But mm -hmm. in listening to monks, like I was, I, and I wish I remembered his name, but he was talking about celibacy and how orgasmic it actually is for him. <laughs> but his relationship with God is so profound and deep and his intimacy mm -hmm. and his prayer life is so profound and deep that he feels almost like an erotic pleasure from his wow. communication with God. And I actually relate to that because when I get deep into prayer, it feels like I've been drinking wine. <laughs> like I get actually intoxicated by prayer. And yeah. So I'm like, I could see that shifting to eroticism. And that's why I don't even push back too much on people talking about you know, masturbating and prayer, which is something that felt so um, blasphemous to me. And I, mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, when I think about what these people are saying about their celibacy and, you know, comparing these two to erotic experiences, I'm like, well, the divine is very much so in our sexuality, like ingrained mm -hmm. in there. And I could see it all flowing together. But um, that said, I also had heard in the past that the reason that celibacy became something that wasn't just a personal choice for leaderships like like priests, it mm -hmm. was really because they wanted the inheritance of dead priests to not go to families. They wanted it to go directly back into the church mm -hmm. and that it was about the accumulation of wealth. And obviously, mm -hmm. if you look at the Vatican, I haven't been to the Vatican, but even just being in Italy and Venice, seeing the insane amount of wealth that the Catholic Church obviously had and still continues to have, you know, I have to wonder, money is a very corruptive power. Mm -hmm. So it's like, is money involved in that celibacy call? Or, you know, are there some people that are corrupted in that or some people that are doing it out of their heart? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Well, currently, a lot of priests and religious life take vows of poverty. So, they, like, some priests in religious orders aren't even allowed to own cars. They don't even, they don't even have access to their own banks. Like, Jesuits, for example, they make a lot of money. A lot of them are professors or scholars, but all of their paycheck goes to the religious order. So when right. it comes to wanting to be rich now, I think that that's not a thing, but I definitely will agree with you that there's been so much corruption throughout church history. I mean, a lot of Christians are human and can become evil and corrupt. Yeah. So absolutely, that makes sense with what you're saying. There's also this concept of priests specifically being married to their congregations, just like in Ephesians, it talks about how Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So it's the idea of priests being married to their congregation, which I think is so beautiful that all of their time can be spent with their parish community. I think it's beautiful. 
Well, yeah, I, but I totally understand what you're saying about the individuals themselves taking vows mm-hmm. of poverty, but then their money is still going back to the order. So I'm talking more about like the corruptive power of mm-hmm. the highest of the order that someone with a pure heart could come in with a poverty spirit. That's mm-hmm. good. But then the corruption at the top. I yeah, know. I'm not familiar specifically with like what's currently going on. I'm sure there could be corruption, but yeah, yeah I'm just not educated enough on it. No, it's okay. I mean, it's just something to consider, which, you know, really comes down to the root of why I have such a hard time accepting theology as absolute truth from mm-hmm. the mouths of fellow human beings. And I know I'm just a human being, obviously, but I really do believe in the Holy Spirit and our Mm. direct connection there. So I'm going to get into that more later, but I think also just while we're on the uncomfortable topics of controversy, let's just lean into the ultimate, which is celibacy potentially leading to all of the scandals that have happened in church and Mm. the terrible way the Catholic church has addressed that. And I imagine this is a subject that you is not like a fun to address, but I just know in talking to a Catholic, mm-hmm. so many people are going to be like, why didn't you ask her about the pedophilia? Oh, absolutely. And it's like, yeah. okay, so let's just talk about it. And I think you already definitely addressed it by just saying that people are fallible and obviously mm-hmm. calling yourself evil. a Christian. Evil. Yeah, even. And calling yourself this title of a priest or whatever doesn't make you a holy person. Mm-hmm. It just makes you a person that called yourself a priest. Mm-hmm. So that's not surprising. But what is, I think, so awful and shocking is the management of those mm-hmm. grave, grave crimes that occurred. Yeah. So do you well, see like changes happening in the church of this finally being addressed properly? Because I, for one, am furious that there's not more um, people in jail, in prison for the rest mm-hmm. of their lives for these things. Mm-hmm. Well, all of this happened, I mean, it came out originally in like 2000, 2001, way before I became Catholic. So mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of it going in, but last not last summer but the summer before the Pennsylvania report came out you're probably familiar with it yeah so I began doing intensive research into it and the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops on their website they have they did independent reports so they paid another organization to do independent reports of the entire sex abuse crisis there's so many aspects of this but the first thing is that a lot of people don't know this But the sex abuse crisis was the absolute worst in the 1960s and 70s. So it was increasing until the 1980s. And then it spiked down in the 1980s, all the cases. So a lot of the reports came out around 2000, 2001. But these these were old, old, old cases. So that doesn't at all take away the evil that's going on. But currently, and since the 1980s onward, there hasn't been a problem of sex abuse in the church. It's everything that happened in the past. So obviously, you need to deal with everything that happened in the past, even if someone was sexually assaulted decades ago. It's still affecting their life. It's still evil. We still need to put priests in jail and do lawsuits. Ultimately, so many priests and bishops and popes will be in hell and get that punishment from God, but there also needs to be a punishment on earth. So absolutely, I mean, I'm not familiar with everything, but what the reports, the independent reports did come out with is that 
the reason for the sex abuse was not celibacy. That wasn't the main reason that it happened, which I think is really important because so many people say that celibacy caused the sex abuse crisis, but the reports concluded that that wasn't the reason. So what was the reason? The sexual revolution. They believed that was the reason. <gasps> Wait, no. I have to... Isn't I'm that gonna... weird? No. Yeah, I mean, I encourage you to read them. No, please tell me more about this because I, I am going to push back on that so hard. I think, but I want to hear You're what, what you mean by so that. Hard. Yes. Okay. So there are two 200-page reports on the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops websites, and is it possible to have them linked below? Yeah, of course. Okay, and also, is it possible to link below my video where I talked about this? Yeah, sure. Because I went more in-depth into it. I think this is such a complicated issue, and I'm probably not the best person to deal with it. One of my favorite Catholic bishops, Bishop Barron, he's on the internet, and he wrote an entire book talking about this. So if anyone really wants to research it in depth, I'm probably not the best person to talk about it. That's okay. But within yeah. these reports, a lot of people said that the reason for it is celibacy. And my main issue with that is that if someone is married, if a man is married to his wife and they're having sex in the marriage, do you really think that someone who would be willing to sexually rape a child or a teenager, do you think that same person wouldn't rape their wife in marriage? If you're that evil of a person, it just seems like taking that person and having them marry someone isn't going to take away the problem. If you're willing to rape someone, would you well, really be better in marriage? The issue is that um, pedophilia is a very specific um, sexual dysfunction. Pedophilia also wasn't the problem. Well, so I'm the just saying. The vast majority of cases were on prepubescent boys who were like 16 to 18. So pedophilia also wasn't the problem. It oh. wasn't celibacy and it wasn't even pedophilia, which is shocking. But that would be in the statutory rape category. Like what age mm -hmm. does it transfer from pedophilia into statutory rape? I'm not exactly sure the exact age, but I recommend just reading the reports because they have so many graphs and they just go really in depth into, into it. Okay. So I'm just going to push back on the the argument that if someone is not willing to rape their wife in marriage, that that would be a sign that they wouldn't go outside of their house and do the same. First of all, I've, I've watched so many serial killer documentaries and stuff, which okay. I do not recommend. It's very dark path to go okay. down. But I have a lot of education because of it on, you know, the, the mask that people put on. A lot of times mm -hmm. people show their best face or they show, you know, a warped version of themselves that only exists, you know, in their marriage and in, in mm -hmm. the way that they present themselves societally. Like Ted Bundy is a perfect example. When they found out he murdered all these people, they were like, mm -hmm. all of his friends and neighbors were shocked. His wife was shocked. He wasn't misbehaving in the confines of the life that he created to have this face mm -hmm. on for the world. And, and rape is not about sex. It's about power. And when it comes down to everyone sexuality it's it's not mm -hmm. an orientation it's a, definitely a dysfunction the desire to violate other people Something else that the report concluded is that homosexuality was also not the cause there were a lot of people who concluded oh we shouldn't have gay priests because of this but mm -hmm. the report concluded 
that it was not because of celibacy, it wasn't because of homosexuality, it wasn't because of pedophilia. So that's really important to see as well. That's a horrible understanding of the situation. That's not what happened. Well, it's also a horrible understanding of homosexuality. That's oh, absolutely inaccurate. Like, yeah. and again, because because I think the main distinction that's that we need to make is that if someone mm-hmm. has the urge to be a rapist or a pedophile, that urge will not be satiated in the environment of consensual sex. So absolutely. It, so it's not about oh, these men were married, so they could have obviously just satiated that in the marriage. No, mm. they obviously have this drive that is incredibly mm. dysfunctional and terrible, and that's why it, doing any comparisons to homosexuality is also so incredibly inaccurate mm. and very offensive to the LGBTQ community. Obviously, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because again, it's all about consent. These are not consensual experiences. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with your orientation. That said, who made this report? Research conducted by the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, the City University of New York. Okay. So okay. the USCCB, which is the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and the Catholic Church had nothing to do with the study. It was an independent study, which I think is so important. I mean, yeah, that's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would be curious to learn more about this, because I will buy that it has nothing to do with celibacy or homosexuality. Homosexuality, mm-hmm. obviously, because that is a grave misunderstanding of homosexuality, mm-hmm. just full stop. But the celibacy part... I do believe that sexual repression can make people do some dark and dirty things. I do Mm. believe that it has the ability to warp your mind in ways that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. expect. And that said, it's hard for me to believe that a report or a study could actually quantify the results of celibacy on the human psyche. That said, I would still buy that it might not have been celibacy in many cases, Mm -hmm. because again, having sex without consent is all about power. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't come down to necessarily even the sexual drive. It is about mm-hmm. something completely different. So, but that said, I do believe that sexual repression can lead mm-hmm. to some really dirty, evil results. One more thing I want to say is that the Catholic Church keeps records of absolutely everything. So there's also sex abuse going on in Protestant churches and Orthodox churches and education system, but we keep records of absolutely everything. So that's why it seems like the numbers are so much higher in the Catholic Church, just because we've unveiled the numbers of what's going on and been honest about it, whereas other organizations don't keep the records. Right. But then that begs the question, why in the hell was it managed the way that it was? Terribly, like transferring priests from one church literally to Mm -hmm. another with no warning of who this person is. Like they were Mm -hmm. not only not prosecuted, but they were not removed from their position. Oh, absolutely. So the psychiatrists at the time recommended that. They were going to non-Catholic psychiatrists and they said that after therapy sessions with psychiatrists, you could cure the tendency in them to rape teenagers. So for some reason, psychiatrists back then were recommending it. Non-Catholic psychiatrists, secular mental health professionals were recommending it and said that you could cure it. 
So that's insane. I don't know how possibly they could be saying that. I, I would believe that too, because the sex education and our understanding of sex has been so mm-hmm. limited for so many generations. And that is mm-hmm. very much so true in secular culture as much as yeah. religious culture. That said, still makes me want to throw my middle fingers up and say, aren't you in communication with the master of the universe? Were you not receiving your divine wisdom that you mm. needed to protect these children and get these people the hell away from them. I'm not buying that pass the blame on to someone else mm. if you have divine revelation. Mm. I just, I mean, I just, it's, it's really infuriating because it's destroyed so many lives. And even Absolutely. still, like if they had a recommendation from a psychiatrist or a psychologist there's still hundreds, if not thousands of cases of abuse of power through non-consensual sex, whether it's pedophilia or adult people. Mm-hmm. So is that to imply that at the very, very top tier of the church, they receive this information and that information trickled down to all the churches? Yeah, again, I don't think I have all the answers about this. I really recommend reading the Bishop Barron book where he went into it and to read the studies of what happened. But obviously it's absolutely just so evil and traumatic and harmful and two summers ago when the Pennsylvania report came out it was hundreds of pages there were so many details of what happened and I remember myself and so many of the Catholics in my life just like crying and crying and crying and getting physically sick and not even being able to process that a church could do this to so many children. And exactly, it's like if the priest had just been immediately removed, dozens of lives would not have been harmed and affected by it. Thousands. Like that, exactly, exactly. But I'm talking about like with one priest individually. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But overall, like thousands of children and teenagers would not have been raped and sexually assaulted and affected by it. So it's just impossible to understand why you think that if one time someone raped someone, why would you keep them as a priest? You know, they should have been automatically defrocked and not allowed to be a priest anymore. So coming into all of this, it was just, this was actually in 2018, I was confirmed in March. And then I think in June or July, the Pennsylvania report came out. Oh, wow. And it was it was crazy that I was just a newly Catholic and suddenly all of this evil information is coming out. And I was suddenly almost a leader because of my YouTube channel and having to talk about this and help explain it to people. And I think the best thing that I did was just explain that homosexuality was not the cause. Celibacy was not the cause, but especially homosexuality. Cause I think that there's so much, stigma surrounding it and it's so important to say that being gay is not the cause you're not more likely to rape someone because you are gay obviously and it's horrific that anyone thinks that and is spreading that message and i mean i deeply appreciate that you as a catholic used your voice to say that that's inaccurate because that is Mm -hmm. so important Mm-hmm. Yeah. And currently today, I believe the Catholic Church is the safest place for children because we have put so many things in place for this to never happen again. Every single person who works for the church, who leads worship in church, who reads scripture in front of the church, who's a Eucharistic minister, has to go through this 
like hours long class called protecting God's children, Mm. where we learn about all the signs of a pedophile of someone raping someone and how to report it. And like, I cried so much during the class because they shared so many personal stories and we had to talk about it in depth. And there's so many rules where a child is never allowed to be alone with one adult. There always have to be two adults. And in any Catholic event, the doors are always locked. Unless you're currently using a room, the doors are locked. So there's no way to be alone with a child. So there's just so many rules now that have been put into place. And I'm so proud that from now on, from the 1980s onward, this isn't going to happen again at the magnitude that it will. People immediately get fired. It's the safest place for children now. So I'm... I mean, listen, I I have to say I'm so grateful to hear that because Protestant denomination is not taking it anywhere near as seriously. And I know it happens there. Many people in the God is Great community write me that have been raped by pastors, preachers, teachers mm-hmm. that they trusted. And I do not see anyone taking it seriously. Like there's there's so much pragmatism to the Catholic Church, I can tell that they put their money where their mouth is. When there's an mm-hmm. issue, it's like faced head on. And that includes the issues of doctrine. You know, mm-hmm. when there are advancements in technology or like birth control, which we'll get into eventually, it you know, is. that they are actually facing that head on and addressing it and like looking at it from many perspectives versus just like being like, oh, here's one Bible verse like the Protestants do. I'm not satisfied with plucking Bible verses anymore. I want to know way more deeply. If you're telling me something that is creating cognitive dissonance in me, I want to know mm-hmm. <laughs> way more mm-hmm. than a Bible verse. The last thing I want to bring up is you said it was a result of the sexual revolution. I so, know that we could talk about this for hours. It's I know. Such a, kind of an audacious claim, but I get that. Well, it's okay. And also just to clarify for everyone listening, like I hope you know that I'm not trying to go hard on you and I'm not expecting- Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I'm yeah. not expecting you to like answer for the entire Catholic church just because it mm-hmm. resonated with you at a certain point in your life and you're, mm-hmm. you're loving it now. Um, but you know, the- righteous anger that I have coming out is just not directed towards you at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And that said, I'm not asking you to just justify every claim that's made, but Mm -hmm. I am curious, saying it's about the sexual revolution, is that to imply that because society had concepts of free love and promiscuity was more acceptable, et cetera, that these priests were compelled to react to that by having non-consensual sex with people. I guess it's, you know, the smallest minority of the population can take something too far. Right. It's kind of like how a lot of people, I don't know if this is a good analogy at all, but people will say that, I guess, maybe don't include this in the video. I was going to say people think that video games or having more guns available it doesn't necessarily that's not the reason for shootings but violent video games and being able to access more like automatic weapons will lead to more shootings that doesn't mean that video games are inherently wrong or guns are inherently wrong although me personally i'm very liberal and i wish we had a lot more gun regulations but the sexual revolution there's this minority of people who take unrestrained sex way too far too evil 
And then there's this minority of people who take automatic weapons being easily accessible. And they take that way too far and cause these horrific slaughterings and shootings. So I think that could be an analogy where there's this minority of people who take it too far and take it to commit evil. No, I, I love that analogy. And I think it's applicable, okay. applicable if you don't mind me including it. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think you said anything wrong. Okay. Um, but I think I push back on this so hard because I feel in the church, we have so often like correlated sin and evil to quote culture and mm -hmm. sexual revolution is a part of the culture, something that was happening. I obviously... I was very promiscuous at a time. I don't live that way anymore. I've made a lot of conclusions on that in my own. And most of them are just around, you know, the respect and a love and adoration I have for other mm -hmm. people and not wanting to objectify them sexually or, or diminish someone to a sexual object for my pleasure. Mm -hmm. That said, it's like sexual revolution, no holds bar, sex with everybody, hookup culture, et cetera. I'm not about that life. And like, I would love to steer people away from it as much as possible because mm -hmm. I know that there's pain in that. It's like, there's a lot of pain in purity culture, but there's also a lot of pain in hookup culture. And I mm -hmm. will address that 100%. Mm -hmm. But that said, I think too often the church will take what I see as just an opportunity for them to create like uh, more stigma or shame around mm -hmm. sexuality and being free with your sexuality. That's why I hesitate to just let that slide as like, oh yeah, that sounds right. Because the comparison you're making with guns and everything is, it's like, it's true. Sex, like nothing else has the most incredible power to do absolute good or absolute evil. Like you can have heaven touching earth, making love with somebody that God is like, dwelling in both of you and it's mm. beautiful or mm. you can irreparably damage someone's soul and mm. the dichotomy of that is just amazing it's like two sides yeah, of the spectrum but that said it's just completely saying sexual freedom and emancipation is going to lead to all this darkness is not fair in my opinion and mm. i don't think that's why it happened because again pedophilia and non-consensual sex rape are not about sexual desire necessarily it's like mm -hmm. from what i know they say it's always about power so i don't know i mean again i'm like acknowledging you don't have to answer yeah. for all of this recommend reading like the 200 page study the john jay report concluded this okay for cool. a lot of reasons all right amazing and I'm, i mean i would love to read that i'm very very mm -hmm. curious um okay maybe let's lighten up a little bit <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm like everybody shake it off get a little palate cleanser you are you are saving a sexual experience for marriage or yeah. for never if i never get married <laughs> okay yeah yeah and i'm i mean i think it's amazing that you walk out what you talk about and I obviously am very familiar with the doctrine and, and how and why you've come to that conclusion for your life. And I deeply mm -hmm. honor and respect that. I feel like people's burning question would be like, is it hard? You've been in a three year relationship, yeah. you know, there's so many YouTube videos about like boundaries and dating. And I've heard so many horny messages from non-denominational pastors that are like, yeah. me and my wife have the best sex ever. It's just like over-sexualized. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, would you be comfortable sharing your journey of like yeah. its difficulty or whatever? 
So I'm not at all like girl defined where I'm against kissing before marriage. So okay. <laughs> we do kiss each other and we cuddle and we have a physical relationship. But for us personally, it's not that hard because we're very logical people and neither of us are impulsive or we don't have like addictive personalities or are hedonistic. And I don't say that in a negative way. Like I think it's beautiful that people are impulsive and more emotional, but neither of us are like emotional people. We're very rational and logical. So tell. for us, okay, yeah. So for us, it's pretty easy. And I think that because we're vehemently against birth control and contraception, if we had sex, we could get pregnant. Yeah. So I think that that's a really good, I mean, it's like, we would never use that so we could easily get pregnant. So that's an easy thing and an easy way. But I would say too, that I prayed a lot at the beginning of our relationship that we would stick to those boundaries. And like early on in our relationship, when we were, you know, the most passionate about it, I would pray even while we were kissing, like as we're kissing or making out, like I would pray that we would maintain those boundaries. Oh, I, mean, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's like inviting God into your sex life, and I'm all about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we agree in that praying while making out—that's such a Christian thing, but to the <laughs> world must be so weird. <laughs> Everyone's like, "You weird nerds." <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny because in the in the completely opposite way, I guess. But like, I was so compartmentalized with my sexuality because I was having Mm -hmm. promiscuous sex and like not, I actually genuinely had the feeling that when I would go into my bedroom to have sex with somebody that I'd be like, God, you stay out here. Like literally Mm -hmm. close the door and be like, don't come in here. I'm sinning, you know? And I see it very differently now, but also I realized how tragic that was for me to do because it compartmentalized me into a sexual being and a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe those should always be aligned Mm -hmm. for every element of your health, especially Mm -hmm. your sexual and spiritual health. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I'm just saying that's cool. I like it. (laughs) But this is also a good segue into the birth control conversation because Mm -hmm. you, I don't know if you know, this might've been a slip up, but you said it would be very easy for us to get pregnant. So what do you mean it would be easy for, say again? You said if we have sex, it would be very easy for us to get pregnant. What was I saying that in context of? Because you're right, I could have like done a slip. No, it yeah, wasn't my... a scripted video. It was like an outlined video and not a scripted. So I think I easily could have made a mistake and said. Oh no! I mean, you said it right now to me. You oh, said. Oh, I said it just now. Yeah, which I'm oh, not. I'm not holding because your... we're not using birth control or contraception. Right. But you're saying it's harder to get pregnant. No, I'm just saying I'm not holding your feet to the fire on this, but my. Okay. The what I'm bringing up right now is that you you said that it would be easy to get pregnant if you guys were not using birth control. And I only say that to kind of segue into it to be like, yes, that's the anxiety that people have when they're having mm. sex without birth control. Mm. And if the anxiety you feel about having a baby is not just casual, it's not just like... Um, oh, that would be kind of difficult. Like I felt casually afraid of getting pregnant, which is Mm. why I wasn't using birth control and I was being stupid and now I have a baby. (laughs) 
Um, and when I say being stupid, I mean using the pullout method, like the least effective method of birth control. Mm -hmm. So I obviously wasn't in a dire circumstance where my finances would be in grave risk. Although if you mm -hmm. watch my video rebuttal to you, I did all of a sudden realize after I was pregnant that it could cost up to $120,000, oh, yes. which actually would have Why? demolished my financial yeah. life. Like that would be that would demolish my financial life. I would be in debt mm -hmm. for God knows how long trying to pay that off. So mm -hmm. yeah, maybe I take back my sentiment and be like, pregnancy was an enormous risk for me financially, but there are people mm -hmm. that have it much worse. Not only do 70% of abortion clients say that they did it because of finances, but mm -hmm. a huge majority of those same people already had children. And that's why I hate Ben Shapiro's conversation. Oh, me too. Yeah. Zero off, like, compassion. Yes. And he comes off like people are always saying that he's like balanced and he's, a, you know, he cares about women and everything, but it's the most misogynistic approach that he takes always being like, well, you just should have kept your legs shut. And you're just like, dude, mm -hmm. shut up. <laughs> These people having abortions are women that are looking at their three existing children mm -hmm. weeping and saying, mm -hmm what am I going to do? I can't do this. And mm -hmm. bringing another child into her life with $120,000 debt. And not, not having maternity leave as well. We don't have maternity leave mandated in the country. Yeah, it's true. So she might lose her job, whatever. So mm -hmm. she was making that sacrifice. So many of these women, and I've watched videos, I've heard stories in person. Where they're like, I am sacrificing this child within me so I can provide for my actual children mm -hmm. that I'm looking in the face right now. Mm -hmm. So all of that said, I am going to kind mm -hmm. of hold your feet to the fire of saying mm -hmm. it would be easy because I'm just curious, do you actually believe getting pregnant is still so easy when you're utilizing natural family planning, which is what you guys mm -hmm. would use? Yeah. Do you believe it's easy to get pregnant under that method? Mm -hmm. So there was a German study, which we can also link below, and they said that natural family planning, when done correctly, which is difficult to do correctly, because, right. you know, you don't just, like, take a pill every morning, you take your temperature every morning, you look, this is kind of, like, graphic, but you look at your cervical mucus. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. the guy that's watching might think that's kind of odd, but um, there's even something you can do where you pee on something and then put it in a machine and it tells you exactly when you're ovulating. So anyways, we're at a point now where I think it's like 99.5% success rate or something, just as much as the birth control pill, if done correctly. So natural family planning is extremely, extremely accurate how okay. we're doing now. But and, uh, one thing I want to say, because you just said a lot of things and I thought of a lot of things. So my boyfriend and I, if we were Protestant, would have been married by now. But because we believe, because it's so difficult to bring a baby into the world and to afford that and everything, we're posting back marriage until we're each at a better financial situation because he's currently a PhD student, so he doesn't have like a full income. He has his stipend, obviously. But mm -hmm. together, we're not at the financial state that we'd want to be in before bringing a baby into the world. So we're not going to get married and not going to have sex until we're at that financial level. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But it also goes to show how concerned you are that you could get pregnant by accident, which I think is a really important thing to realize mm -hmm. for you 
you know, it probably wouldn't be dire. I would obviously, that would be an interesting well, YouTube me, video for you to come out and be like, so I, I slipped up. <laughs> it kind of is dire for me because I have bipolar disorder type one, oh. which is more severe. So I'd have to go off all of my bipolar meds if I got pregnant, which wow. could, I mean, I have suicidal thoughts and stuff and I do dangerous things in manic episodes. So it literally could be life-threatening. So that's another reason why even wow. though it has like this 99% success rate, like that 1% is I'm off my meds. Wow. So I want to be at a really healthy place before yeah. getting married and like the smallest possibility of being pregnant. Gotcha. Sorry for assuming that it wouldn't be a big oh, deal for you. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. No, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with me because that, I mean, that's why it's all so interesting, the debate, because you know, you are so uh, not fearful. You are being very like pragmatic and intelligent about it. And I do commend that. And I think, but I, but it's interesting that you still are so wary of pregnancy despite Mm -hmm. NPF and like your ability to actually do that every morning and Mm -hmm. be strategic about it. It just shows me that your concern, the method isn't as effective as presented hmm. and it's then, also theological for me like I believe that well yeah marriage and having a child is like so intertwined so when I get married I want to immediately get pregnant that's how I view it theologically okay so some people are less conservative than I am and they view it as and the church does allow you to like once you get married, wait to have children, but I'm more conservative about it. And I view it as when I get married, I should be ready to have a child. So that's part of it too. It's not only like fearing getting pregnant, which I don't like the phrase fearing getting pregnant. Well, yeah, no, I know. (laughs) I know. But obviously like it is a risk to people with health conditions and stuff, but yeah, I just view it as when I get married, I should immediately want to have a child because sex and marriage are intertwined with each other. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm a very mystical Christian. So I relate to that reason far more than, you know, the former. But I'm just, I just want to point out that there does seem to be a wariness around that yeah. method. And you I know, haven't where you done still that feel much like research into it either. Because when you get married, it's like this big deal in Catholicism. You have to do like marriage sessions with your priest and go on retreats and do like two months of NFP classes. So probably the more I learn about it, I would be less wary. So I love that you're saying that they offer these comprehensive courses on natural Mm -hmm. family planning and how to do it. That's amazing. It's mandatory. (laughs) That's amazing. Education is incredibly empowering. Sexual education within the church that's actually fact-based is incredible. Mm -hmm. I love hearing that. However, I think the biggest pushback and my problem with the doctrinal belief and and telling the whole world just you know blanket statement we the catholic church are against birth control natural Mm -hmm. family planning is the only way that people that are not as resourceful i don't want to say intelligent but you know don't uh, they're more ignorant they don't have access to the information that you have Mm -hmm. or they're just doing their life. They're living their life. They have kids mm-hmm. already. They're running around the house and they just want to have sex with their husband every once in a while. Yeah. And, you know, and they forget to take their temperature. They don't even know exactly how it works. All they know is I'm not allowed to use birth control. I'm not allowed to use mm-hmm. condoms. The, my problem is saying 
we're against birth control could play to the highest denominator of people that are really engrossed in the church that are going to have access to this MPF mm -hmm. course. And it will work out beautifully for those people. Mm -hmm. But by the time it trickles down to the casual Catholic mm -hmm. that just heard the Pope say we're against this and then translates that to like, now I'm not using any form of protection. I don't know mm -hmm. about NPF. NFP, that could lead to really, really dire circumstances yeah. again for people. And I also am just like, why do you care? <laughs> Men, why do you care? like the fathers of the church. And I think this is the thing that I was said was going to uh -huh. our main disagreement. I am not about listening to this group of men that I've never met, that have never met me, tell me mm -hmm. what is right for my body, my sexuality mm -hmm. and my reproduction. And I'm not saying that in the feminist way of like, hooray, abortions. I'm saying it in the way of like, am I not capable of being still with the Holy Spirit and in my mm -hmm. own intuitive intuition and my own communication figure out what's best for me mm. and just live accordingly. Why do you have to be in my sex life to this degree? Mm. Mm. Well, to respond to one of your earlier points, I want to be clear about the NFP. So if you get married, if you have a Catholic wedding, you have to take the NFP course. So I understand there are some people who won't do the NFP right, but they've taken those courses. And I have subscribers all around the world and I've gotten messages from Brazil, Mexico, Uganda, India, of they have NFP classes too that are mandatory. So as far as I know, globally, everyone has to take, maybe not in every country, but in a lot of countries, everyone does take the NFP classes. And I mean, amazing. <laughs> so much education about it. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. But I would also say that to understand the no birth control and no contraception teaching, you have to understand our entire sexual ethics, which could be a five-hour conversation. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to not use contraception if you're having sex before marriage. It doesn't make sense to not have contraception if you don't understand that sex is unitive and procreative. It doesn't make sense to have no contraception if you don't understand the entire teaching magisterium of the church and why we have tradition and why sola scriptura is wrong. It's like a four-hour conversation to understand everything. So I think when you look at this as just one part of our sexual ethics, it doesn't make sense because right. you're not seeing everything as a whole. And then I would also respond by saying that just because men are saying it doesn't mean that it's not true. And we, sure. believe, yeah. Yeah, we believe that the apostles are the ones who taught the next generation of Christians and that Jesus taught the apostles. So I want to read a Bible verse real quick that talks about the need for oral tradition. So this is from 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So this is St. Paul talking and he says, Brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. So he's commanding them to go by teachings that were said orally. And this is in the Bible. So we believe that the apostles taught the next generation of Christians and that Jesus taught the apostles. So it's not just like Tertullian in the second century coming up with something, but we believe that it traces back to Jesus and that it was passed down from there. So a lot of people see, like when I was Protestant, 
I saw a Catholic tradition as just like making something up in the fourth century or like making it up in the 1800s. Yeah. But we think that it actually traces back to Jesus. Um, and everyone tune into me and Lizzie's collaboration because we're going to dive yeah. into all of this for her channel. Yeah. I won't, <laughs> I won't muddy this conversation with that <laughs> conversation. Um, I think the last thing I need to say on this or bring up is um, the AIDS epidemic in Africa mm-hmm. because a, like tragically, horribly, mm-hmm. a lot of that was traced back to Catholic ministers and people coming mm-hmm. into that region and saying birth control was immoral and mm-hmm. not allowing people to use condoms. Mm-hmm. I have a huge problem with that. I'm realizing this is what it comes down to for me. Like your personal held beliefs are so beautiful to me and the way mm-hmm. you honor the tradition and the way you honor and believe that these teachings are passed down from Jesus and that these are honorable people that are doing their mm-hmm. best to interpret how Jesus would react to things like mm-hmm. birth control. Um, I'm just looking in the real world and the results that that kind of teaching mm-hmm. has on people that are not as educated as you are on these subjects. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like, look at the fruits, the fruits of this anti-condom doctrine led to death, led to Mm -hmm. disease, led to innocent children being born with HIV. It's a disaster. And Mm -hmm. I just have to question the morality of that. I have to say, how could they have come into that region doing that? And I'm sure it might've been done with all the purity of their heart, with all the understanding that you're bringing to the table. But when you offer it to the masses and it gets trickled mm-hmm. down, it comes down to people being like, oh, God doesn't want me to use a condom. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to. And this is where we yeah. are. Honestly, I don't think I'm educated enough on the situation to give a good response just because this happened way before I became Catholic and I mean, I read and research every single day to understand more and more about our history and our theology. So one thing I will say, though, is that even priests can teach the faith in a wrong way. So like I said, you need to have a four-hour conversation to explain, to put contraception into context. Maybe they didn't have that four-hour conversation, and that's why it led to that. Because if someone came in and they said, we're against birth control and contraception, but then they didn't say, oh, by the way, also only have sex in marriage. Oh, by the way, use NFP. Oh, by the way, you don't have to have 15 kids to be Catholic. Like if they didn't explain all of that, that could have led to it. So maybe they were missing the four hour conversation and explaining it in a horrible way. That's the only thing that I could think of. I mean, yeah, I completely agree. That's what I'm saying. It's like the trickle down of that doctrine has if been it's not explained harmful. well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the doctrinal it's belief. It's complicated. It is. And I, I have this like dream of meeting the current Pope, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah, I really. What would you say to him? Would you ask him a question? I would ask him a million questions. I have a magnet of him on my fridge and it's like my, <laughs> I'm like, want to meet you one day, sir. <laughs> I'm sure it's not, sir. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Be- like, maybe something that's like, if you are deeply entrenched and you know exactly what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. take on this doctrinal principle. Mm -hmm. But when you're going out into the world, spreading it to the masses, maybe shut up about that. Because when Mm -hmm. given on a mass scale, when it trickles down, the message is not received properly at all. Mm -hmm. And it's dangerous and, and leads to death. 
Yeah, I agree that you have to explain the four-hour version, and I think that it's horrible catechesis when that doesn't happen. In the U.S., 90% of Catholics use contraception. So clearly, we're not <laughs> doing a good job teaching about birth control and contraception with this many people. That's disagree. so funny. That's so. Yeah, that's really funny. Can I actually add one more thing about birth control? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so... We talked before about the sexual revolution, and I think that one of the main results of the sexual revolution and of a birth control culture is that, and I don't want to be insensitive to you at all, because I think that you having a baby and your partner and you are raising, is it a her or a him? Or do a you him. not? <laughs> you and your partner have a beautiful, healthy relationship and you're raising him together, but because of the sexual revolution, a lot of people are having children outside of marriage and the relationship doesn't work out. Yeah. And the child is growing up without both of their biological parents. And one in four children in the US don't have their father as a part of their life and are not getting to grow up wow. in a home with the father, which is heartbreaking. And so I think the Catholic Church's intention of only having sex in marriage and viewing birth control as not an option. Like how I talked about my boyfriend and I, like we could get pregnant. So having birth control there as an option, it's tempting for people to have sex outside of marriage and it's tempting for them to view sex as only being about the unity of the relationship, only about bonding and not also about having children. Mm. And so I think we're trying to create a society where children are raised by both their biological parents and they're born into homes of couples who are ready to have a baby, whether that is emotionally, financially, or the strength in their relationship. So it's all about the children and wanting the children to have a healthy way of growing up. So, and I'm not at all saying that if you are a single parent or if you're not married, that you can't raise a child in a healthy way. Obviously you can, like so many children growing up, their parents are divorced or so many single moms or single dads are doing an amazing job raising their children. But I think that ideally, it's so amazing to grow up with both of your biological parents as part of your life. So I don't know, does that make sense? I think no, that- That's beautifully said. And I, I'm glad that you wrapped it up by saying that. Because okay. at the top of our conversation, a lot of my deeply held beliefs or biases about the Catholic Church was that they have a repressive sexual ethic. Mm -hmm because of their feelings on celibacy and birth control. But you just describing that and explaining it actually is beautiful and makes me feel mm -hmm. like the leadership isn't just this corruptive power. And I think mm -hmm. that bias comes a lot from my experience. I do feel that the sexual ethic, quote unquote, of evangelical Christianity is incredibly repressive. We it don't know. Toxic. We don't know why we're doing it. We don't know for what part. We're just like, I guess I'm saving myself. I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, it's not as deep. It's not as beautiful. And it's definitely not child based. Like you're saying, like mm -hmm. that's a, a very logical, beautiful explanation for why mm -hmm. faith based people would actually view sex that way and want it to be kept mm -hmm. within marriage because of exactly everything you just said. And I'm glad that obviously you offered the distinction that you honor and celebrate single parents and parents that are in different mm -hmm. situations because that does not mean you're just totally screwed or your child's going to be awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously, obviously.
I have a, a million more questions I could ask you. I had yeah. so much fun with this conversation and I wasn't expecting it to get so heavy, but I'm glad that it did because I know the Catholic church has a very bad rap for these reasons. And mm-hmm. I obviously was incredibly bothered by their mishandling of scandal and also you know, the result of this doctrine about birth control. Mm-hmm. So your clarity on it was really great. And I'd love to hear from you all in the comment section, what you're thinking of this video. Be freaking nice. I don't <laughs> want to see any negativity about Lizzie and her beliefs. Like if you have a dissenting idea or like you have friction with what she's saying, you can frame it in a kind way. Trust me, mm-hmm. I do it in life. Lizzie does it in her life. And it's possible. You'll feel better about yourself and we might actually answer a question because it's like framed in a kind, inviting way. I challenge you all to do that with these challenging topics. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation, Lizzie. How can everybody find you on social media, et cetera? So my Instagram and Twitter are my first and my last name, Lizzie Rizé, L-I-Z-Z-I-E-R-E-E-Z-A-Y. Perfect. And my YouTube channel is Lizzie's Answers. We love you all. We love you all. God bless.